You're listening to Season 2 of NFT 365. Talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and... What the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365. Powered by the ADHD coin, here's your host and digital futurist, Brian Fanzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. We are on to season number two. And of course, one of the beauties of season number two is that we are learning from not only doing a podcast every single day for 365 days, but we're also kind of taking our learnings from, you know, what did we learn buying an NFT every day with the migration of the project and really the different blockchains that we minted on, different interfaces, different marketplaces. And you know, for me, one of my favorite pieces of pretty much everything Web3 is the tech side. And, and most people know that just based on my background with enterprise tech and just really being a uh, a big time geek. And I, I like to set the stage of like, you know, for me, part of my fun time of, you know, I would say, especially early emerging tech was, you know, I would get out of my day job and then I would jailbreak my iPhone uh, so that I could have some fun on that side of the house. And so uh, excited for this conversation today. We're going to talk uh, you know, talk Web3 NFTs, talk about tools, uh, talk about a, a tool that I just uh, recently became uh, familiar with. And I has some unique components, even a little DeFi and DAO uh, integrated to it. So excited to have that conversation. Seb, thanks so much for joining us uh, on the podcast. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and we'll get into some questions I got for you. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, first, thank you for having me. Um, happy to be chat- chatting a bit more about Zapper and my background. Um, so yeah, a little intro on myself. Uh, so I am the co-founder of Zapper. For those that don't know, Zapper is a Web3, Web3 Explorer um, where you can browse any account on chain, see what they own in DeFi NFTs, uh, see what DAOs are a part of. You can see trending NFTs. Uh, our view is kind of Right now, we're in the early internet of phase of Web3, uh, where you had Yahoo and search engines. Um, and for a lot of people at that time, it was really hard to parse the internet and travel. You had to kind of, you know, use uh, the, um, enter a bunch of domains randomly or eventually hope that you stumble on a website you're interested in. And so similarly in crypto, it's really hard to discover new things. Uh, we rely a lot on like traditional social media to do it. Um, and our goal is really to kind of open, um, create a better window into what's going on on chain, putting that in a format that's much more human readable and accessible to everyone. Um, like one of our big focuses is actually not hiding the blockchain, not hiding crypto. It's bringing it closer to people in a language that they can relate and understand. I love that. I, I, yeah, we've been joking that, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, SB, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, definitely taught a lot of journalists uh, what is it like to read EtherScan, right? And the importance yep. of, uh, you know, and the you know, really the availability of uh, transparency with the blockchain. Uh, I'm curious. So, from your you know, ba- what is your background like? How did you kind of get into Web three, and how did the kind of the the life of the project kind of uh, come to life for you as far as you know problems that you were trying to solve? Yeah. So originally, I have a background in finance. Uh, I studied in finance. Uh, during my degree, quickly became disillusioned. Uh, 
with the traditional finance system. I had an internship that was full of red tape, um, huge conflict of interest between um, the investment fund and uh, their customers, like how they'd actually invest the money. They often chase the highest commissions they, they could and not didn't really care about uh, their customers or their clients. And yeah, I became super dis- disillusioned, so I decided to learn how to code. And so directly after graduating, decided to learn how to code and got a job as a developer. And kind of fast forward to 2017, I had a few startups, a few jobs as a developer. Um, I discovered Ethereum. I knew what Bitcoin was. Um, wasn't like I understood like the political and monetary aspect of it, but being a tinker and a builder wasn't something that was of particular interest. But when I learned about Ethereum, it kind of blew my mind that you can actually build um, smart uh, these smart contracts and build ex- extensions to money um, and a bunch of different applications. And so from that moment, kind of dived really deep uh, into ETH. And in 2019, started to participate a lot in, in DeFi. So I became really involved in a bunch of different projects. Now the time was a very small kind of market. There's maybe like 10 protocols, uh, $20 million in, in total value locked. Like it was minuscule. Like kind of everyone knew each other. Um, and at the time, the biggest problem I had was to track my own portfolio. So I was doing that in a spreadsheet. Uh, pulling in data every day and just throwing in there. And then at one point, I'm like, Ethereum is this global ledger. All the information is there. Why don't I just build a, a website that just reads directly from it and puts my DeFi you know, investments in a nice, uh, nice format. So that was really the first use case for Zapper, just taking your investments, uh, pulling from a different protocols, putting it to one place. And I just remember putting it in de- uh, a DeFi Discord and it kind of was almost like uh, instant product market fit where I had users trying it out, asking for new integrations. And then from that moment to like today, I'd say like there's definitely like this, a strong gravitational pull um, of adding new integrations and servicing more on-chain stuff. And eventually came into servicing NFTs and DAOs and more stuff. Nice. So yeah, and and I mean that DeFi summer and that you know the DeFi emergence and uh, I had a very similar path. I blockchain. I was talking about blockchain 2014, 2015 uh, on stages as a speaker, but never really from the crypto side. I, I don't have the finance backside uh, that you had. But when I figured out smart contracts and Ethereum, that's when that was a big light bulb uh, for me as well. Although you're you know you have an interesting background having the finance side as well as. Uh, the coding side, right? And I, I think both, you know, all three of those worlds, right? From DeFi, NFTs, and DAO. I think a lot of it was like figuring out, you know, what the hell do we care about? <laughs> you know, what mm-hmm. is, what is out there? What do we care about? Uh, what can be manipulated? What is immutable? What is not? Uh, I'm curious for you, like, you know, kind of launching into the DeFi side. You know, I think a lot of tools come from front door of NFTs or traditional swapping uh, of crypto. What were some of the things I think early on that like in the, you know, kind of the DeFi uh, discovery of the product that kind of helped you also see that it could cross over into the NFT world as well? I remember like after the, you know, the first few months after launching already had some users that were like, oh, you should add NFTs. And at the time, like I knew what they were but I didn't see the crossover at all. I was like, this is more of a financial application where you see your investments. 
and you just see like pictures with zero dollars next to it. Like I, that's how I kind of viewed them at the time. And so I didn't see the value add. Um, and eventually just users kept asking for NFTs. Could you add NFT support to Zapper at a point where it's really difficult to like ignore. And that's probably leads into early 2021. Um, right as the kind of NFT bull market started, um, like the first wave kind of started uh, is when we decided to integrate NFTs. And at the time, like they they weren't really kind of financialized or that many that really had a value. Um, that was one big moment. Um, and then it also came as a, um, when we're thinking about Zapper as like, what can this evolve into? Um, and there are really two ways we kind of, we saw Zapper uh, go. And the first route was like the obvious one. Let's just focus on finance. It's going to be like a mint, um, you know, dot com version of crypto where you just pull in your bank statements and whatever. And it's one place where you track your portfolio, perhaps more tax, like used for tax, uh, taxes and tracking ROI. And the other one, which I felt our team and myself was better equipped was like servicing on-chain information and putting it in a human readable way. And then another thing I realized was that there's no product except Etherscan that kind of builds around the composability of, of crypto. Uh, like OpenSea, you want OpenSea and you just see NFTs. You go on right. DeFi Lama and it's just DeFi. And all these web apps work in a when in a silo, and it, it felt like eventually, you know, you I I'd be curious to see like if I went to your account like that you have DeFi investments and that you care about your NFTs. Like people are much more um, are are much more like diverse and serve their interests than like just one sector. They're not boxed into one sector, um, and. Part of that as well was, well, so instead of building this portfolio tracker, we're actually building an account profile where we just so happened to start by surfacing your DeFi investments. And so once that kind of unlocked in our mind, it became much more natural to add NFTs, even though like obviously a lot of users were asking it, uh, it played like a big role of our strategic direction uh, moving forward. Yeah, you know, I, I I hadn't thought about like just like you know we we don't really have a, a single dashboard. You know, I'm a part of uh, multiple DAOs, but I don't think I've ever you know I've never been you know I've never used an interface that was going to display that all in kind of one interface, which is very you know as you say that it's very funny how we kind of like we siloed ultimately what is still on chain, what is still uh, you know kind of playing in the same arena, and you know I think for a lot of people, I know for a lot of our listeners, right there's there's the idea of like a marketplace, right? Where we have like the, you know, yeah. the open sea and everyone knows magic Eden. And we have even like the, the blurs and the, you know, uh, rarity trade and trade sniper. And, and a lot of that, like um, buy, sell trade, you know, some rarity, some marketplace, you know, and then I think there's others that like, I think, you know, I've mentioned here on the podcast, like coin tracker, I've used coin tracker for a good while to kind of, you know, that portfolio kind of snapshot, but I've always felt like, there was kind of a, a massive um, jump between the, between those worlds, right? What the marketplace was showing. Uh, I'm curious, like, what was your, like, cause 
you know, like DeFi coming in and kind of adding NFTs and DAO, you're definitely going to have a different perspective on how to display even some of the NFT data, right? Because, you know, unfortunately right now, you know, we are using a lot of vanity metrics like, you know, floor price and, you know, unique uh, wallets where there's so much more data available. Mm -hmm. And I feel like DeFi has done a better job of like, surfacing all of the data and letting people kind of parse it as they as they may uh, as they want to how have you had a look at that because i think there, there's so much data on chain that can probably be aggregated is is it is it partially like i guess the question more so is is the tech there and the education of the users isn't there yet or is it the the fact that we, that we have the tech but we really don't know which data users are currently caring about and, and a lot of, especially i could say the nft space more so than anything else I think DeFi is like pretty straightforward because it's like you want to see a dollar amount. Like that's right. the distilled information that you want to see. You want to see like how much you invested in this thing. I think NFTs are much have a much wider surface of like what they can convey and how you can package them. I, I think like to, to some extent, like a lot of marketplaces have that problem too, yep. where like OpenSea is kind of like you know a Web three version of eBay. Yep. eBay sells a ton, a ton of stuff. And then you're, you're trying to build a model that you can show all these th different things under like a similar kind of model. But sometimes using a similar model, you lose um, valuable information like a music NFT to display or what you want to convey with it is going to be much different than like a PFP. But on OpenSea, like the pages are similar. Like they're... Yep. Um, and I think there, there's a big opportunity for like new new products to to kind of exploit that that difference or like really build in in one silo in particular to help with information. For us, though, there's a big challenge because we want to show you what you own regardless. Um, I think it'll come to how people kind of consume those NFTs. Like something we were thinking about was like, uh, say for music NFTs. Like I, perhaps I could go on your profile and like I I have a dedicated section for music NFTs, but I could also see like uh, when I hop on your profile, like you you have a featured song that starts playing or something that gives right. a, a more depth to to your your profile. Like I think there's a lot of different ways we can package them versus just like the traditional tiles on OpenSea that you'll see uh, that represents an NFT. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge because the variety is. It's like a, a game you can never win because like the variety of NFTs and what they can represent is just infinite. Yeah, it is definitely all over the map, right? And there's not a, you know, there there's are some common variables, right? But you know, I think it's, you know, the eBay, you know, example always is funny for me with OpenSea, right? Because it makes sense. But it's also like anyone that's used eBay, even a couple years into eBay, we all knew that if you were a seller on eBay, you were provided a plethora of tools and information and data mm -hmm. and and best practices. And then if you were just the the buyer, you went onto the dashboard. I think OpenSea has kind of taken the, well, buyer and seller, they're all the same. We'll give you just about right. you know, the same amount of info. And I think it's unfortunate, right? Because I think it it oftentimes kind of diminishes some of the, you know, the the value or the implied way of even uh, you know, putting things out there. And I'm curious with your, you know, I, I went through, you know, some of the marketing, some of the articles that you guys have put out. You know, it seems like there's also in the NFT space, you you can you're looking at it from like twofold, right? Where I can create a portfolio and see what my account is worth, but I can also verify what others are holding or what is, you know, on, you know, what is on their display. I'm I'm curious from from that standpoint, 
how does like you know we we know like the hidden folder on OpenSea is you know I don't I don't want to expose that world to a lot of people yet. Um, in yeah. some cases, hey, that's on the blockchain, right? It's part of the uh, the piece of uh, the puzzle. How have you kind of looked at that? Like you know. OpenSea takes a lot of liberties with their 2.5 kind of gamification, not truly decentralized and kind of manipulating some of the uh, public you know, view of people's data. How have you approached that? Do you have a kind of a philosophy or a way of kind of managing on what you show, what you don't or what you enable and or what you even get some of the users, the ability to, to hide or not hide? Yeah, it's a, uh, there's a trade-off, right? We can show everything but then people will complain that there's spam. And so then we try to build a scalable solution for how we hide spam. spam. Um, and it happens that a lot of the time, like financial data on NFTs is a really good metric for what is spam or not. Because if something has never sold before, well, it's much more likely that... Um, or it, it, it was wash rated if you, if you, through a few accounts that it, it's spam. Like we can leverage on-chain data for that. Um, the difficulty is all these like actual NFTs that end up getting caught by like our spam filter. And so you constantly need to adjust it, make it better. Um, the other one, which I think is, is better, is enabling users to more like control over their portfolio and just how they display NFTs. The problem with that is um, you kind of end up in a situation where you have like Pranksy, where Pranksy is never going to go through tens of thousands of spam NFTs on their account right. to like manually hide. So you kind of need to have that spam filter, even like as people discover new accounts, uh, like you want to be able to consume Pranksy's profile in a simple way. And so it's always like a trade off between these two things. Um but I always tend to go to more power to the users and us being as unopinionated as possible. Like we just want to show the chain as is. Obviously that comes with a few, you know, issues where you have a lot of spam, uh, especially on networks where uh, the gas is much cheaper like Polygon. I'm curious, you know, you, from a standpoint of like kind of positioning from a, you know, a tool set, right. I think, you know, for a lot of listeners, they might be wondering, okay, can I, can I buy and sell here? Can I, can I, uh, you know, you, you do have like kind of the swap functionality. How have you approached like not wanting to be a tool for all, but also helping people kind of understand, okay, you're using this tool in this type of scenario. How do you kind of look at that? Yeah. Well, how we see, like most people using Zapper for is to see what the hell people are doing, what they own. Um, and like part of the, like a big feature that we're going to launch shoot is we're going to launch our activity feed. And it's like a generalized activity feed for the entire like blockchain, like for Ethereum we're indexing every transaction that's happening. And if I'm following you, well, I'll see what the hell you're doing. Um, and from there, you know, I can, so that you bought an NFT, I can click on that NFT. I get like a lot of context around what's going on and where the economic activity is happening. And from there, you can take better decisions on what you want to buy. Or, like the, I think right now, um, one of the big challenges is what's the top of funnel way that people discover new things in crypto? And a lot of it comes from Twitter. And it's often, well, or social, like traditional social media. Oftentimes that will not necessarily be the best 
type of information because there's a gap between what actually happens on chain and what people report. And there's also like time, a time factor. Like sometimes you'll, you'll see something much later than you wished um, or you just won't see it at all. Um, and it's funny because one, uh, one of our engineers that works at Zapper uh, that's actually building the feed um, was someone that was really heavy in DeFi and from using the feed discovered a, a bunch of NFT collections that, you know, kind of ignited that interest in NFTs and then that person started buying NFTs. Um, nice. If they saw it on Twitter, like the context is much richer because you're like, that's where the action's actually happening. You're not like 10 kilometers away on Twitter, far from the far from NFT downtown. Like you're there, you're seeing what's going on. You're seeing who you see their balances. Like to me, that is like rich context that provides a good tools to be able to take better, uh, better decisions. I mean, yeah. Cause I mean, let's face it. I mean, figuring out, I mean, I, so I, for, for last year from November 11th to November 11th, I bought an NFT every single day. Uh, you know, I researched about, you know, from early on, it was 12 to 14 different NFTs and, you know, shrinking it down to one and we held on to every one of them. Right. So we have 365, uh, NFTs and I used across 30 different marketplace blockchains, pretty much trying to find every unique way of, uh, of value. Yeah. And I, without question, the most popular question I got was how do you find a new project? Cause the, the parameters that I had was it had to be pre-mint. So I, I minted all of them. None of them were, uh, you know, legacy projects. And so that was a nightmare in its own. And, and for me, a lot of the conversation was like, how do you find up and coming projects? But in a weird way, even existing projects that are of value of withholders that you, we might respect, or we might already follow on social, or we already might look up to, that's also a really nuanced, uh, you know, process, right? I, the amount of like, bookmarks that I have on like wallets that I'm monitoring on different, you know, different tools or different, you know, ether scans. It's, it's really just a geeked out version of us having to go that layer. And so I love that idea of kind of bringing a lot of that, that data um, to life. Of course, then you do get into that little bit of like, you know, just because someone owns 12 of them and they have a big wallet, you know, how, how does that value? So, yeah, I'm curious, like, what's your take on, you know, if you had a look like a forecast on it, if you were, if you were able to surface data for people to better understand what projects are out there or what projects have current activity, are there certain things that you really want to surface so that it kind of gives a lot of those like kind of, I wouldn't even say buying signals, but maybe trust signals for, for people when they're trying to buy a project? Yeah, well, I think the who's part of the project component is important, like who's collecting it. Um, like if I'm starting, to, like when I'm looking at different NFT collections, like I will often look at who collected them or I'll take my decision based on someone else. Obviously, it's not just that. Um, but oftentimes, like we're social creatures, uh, it's very rare that I happen to just find something without anyone else having, like I'm the first person to discover something. Often you get the signal from someone else. So I think it it helps figure out, like like there's co uh, collections on OpenSea that are constantly being wash traded to be at the top of the chart. And it's really hard to parse those accounts and know if they're just flippers or they're just like gaming the system. And so if you get high quality um, intent uh, from people you follow or you, like you went out and looked at different accounts, I think that's a great, great way of doing it. Um, 
there's there's also something that we were planning to to launch pretty soon as well, which is kind of the same concept as Twitter. It's like lists. So you'd be able to create a list of like really cool NFT collectors and I'd be able to subscribe to that and then see what that list is doing on chain. And anyone like it's democratizing basically. Anyone can create lists. And so the more we surface, the more we allow people to create tools. Like we don't want to be the ones that decide how you find stuff. Like we want to let people invest in their own kind of experience and um find, you know, share better ways with others of finding the alpha. Yeah, I like that. Cause I mean I know for a fact that many of many of the listeners here on the podcast have my wallet you know, bookmarked into a discord They're you know, getting auto posts. Cause I, I get the DMS like 30 seconds after I, uh, if I ape into a project or all of a sudden I buy back into something that I, I jumped out of before I get like all these DMS and screenshots. And, you know, I think that's a, you know, it's a very interesting world, right? Because I do love the, the nature of the transparency, right? Where people can, you know, see, but we also know, um, you know, a lot of that can be, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, people want to be decentralized. They, some people like being, you know, autonomous and, and, and kind of being disconnected from you know, what their actions are. But I think in, in reality, a lot of that is like, you know, not only are we human you know, creatures on that side, but we, we want to look at, you know, kind of a layer deeper. And I, and I like the idea of surfing, surfacing that, um, you know, kind of an easier to find or easier to view uh, perspective. Um, I'm curious, you know, you do have DeFi and DAOs kind of listed as well. Yeah. How, how are DAOs, you know, like actually I had a call yesterday uh, with uh, it's actually a, a rather big investment group that is has been playing in the DAO space, and for them, they've been really um, under impressed with kind of like the entire DAO experience, from you know voting to snapshots to. But I, I'm curious from from kind of analyzing DAOs. I, I like I'm part of the Expansion Punk uh, DAO. That's a, a one that I've been in since uh, day one, and I saw it listed in your in that list there. How are how are DAOs kind of approaching? data differently or how are you able to look at data differently with DAOs? Cause I'm not as familiar with uh, monitoring other external DAOs. For me, it's mostly if I'm in a project or someone's coming to me and asking me to be a part of it, I haven't done kind of the other side of it. So I'm curious, just what are some of those like things that you're able to surface for people to better understand like what a DAO is representing? Yeah. So a lot of, um, there's two things. Um, like I, I, I think DAOs are actually, probably among the simplest things to surface because they're a group of people and a treasury. Sometimes treasury is not like the really important part, but they do have a treasury. So there's like a way they vote. So they have a token, sometimes transferable or not transferable. And so we basically index like who owns that token. So who's a part of that DAO, who has votes in this DAO. And so that's one part. So you go on a DAO page and you see the members. Uh, and then the other part is the treasury. And often the treasury is like a group of uh, ETH wallets or like multi-sigs. And so we kind of bundle those all under one umbrella, like under one kind of bundle um, to be able to view the, uh, um, the DAO. And that kind of came from uh, people kind of looking at DAOs without us explicitly building out a DAO feature like people were just uh we had a bundle like a, a bundle feature for a really long time where you can take like 15 accounts and smash them together and have a view of like the wallet yep. and their DeFi investments and nfts and people were just using that to view DAO treasuries and so we were like well let's just take that concept and 
bring the token ownership concept with it and repackage it into this DAO page. So that's like a, a good example of us making on-chain information like human readable. So a DAO has multiple components. There's like tokens and there's treasuries that have different investments and different apps. So it's just like kind of building this molecule, like relationship different things on chain and surfacing it in a way that's consumable. Because otherwise it would just be scattered and siloed on Scan. Yeah, and let's face it, most, I mean, even, you know, Juicebox and Snapshot and a lot of those that are out there are very, you almost have to know the DAO you're looking for and know what DAOs are are even providing to get a lot of that information, information out there. Um, you mentioned kind of like building or kind of, pulling in the NFT space uh, into the tool during the, you know, the bull market, the bull run that we had. Of course, we are, you know, in the middle of a bear market uh, and have been in a bear market for a while. Are there anything that you're looking at that like kind of, well, you know, as the market turns for who the hell knows when that actually happens, are there any like features or things that you're kind of identifying as like maybe entry points or things that you, you believe would, would probably have helped people a year ago if it existed. But, you know, I, I think we are having kind of a reset there. I'd love to know your take on any, you know, kind of nice to haves or entry points that you're kind of looking at for, from like surfacing it within a tool. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think, like my answer doesn't really change through like being able to see what the hell's going on. There's something that's still pretty much unsolved in the space that if we'd have like a year ago, we'd be in a much better position. Uh, Cause I see a huge difference between crypto veterans like you, you and me um, and people like that browse ether scan and people that are entering the space and people that are entering the space come at a huge disadvantage to like there's even people that are experts that are just looking at what's in the mempool, like all the pending transactions and being able to take uh, smart decisions based off of that. Like there's a huge gap and that gap comes from people's understanding of the blockchain and being able to also read it. And so if we're able to uh, level the playing field for everyone, so build a way so that everyone is able to browse the chain, then that's not as big of a problem. I see so many like people falling, like I saw so many people falling for scams during the bear market because uh, what was reported on Twitter, which was super ver verifiable on Etherscan was a world apart. And so yeah. I could do my due diligence. I could look on Etherscan and see that um, the project was rugged or something, or they rugged in the past pretty easily. But people on Twitter, or that just coming into the space, they don't have that that um, that knowledge, and so they come at a complete disadvantage. And people that uh, people exploit that, uh, and so that to me is like the biggest thing that's missing in crypto. And you see it to a a, a bigger extent into um, how kind of like the general or mainstream media also sees crypto and how they understood the situation with FTX. Like people don't understand. Yeah, they kind of mix the concept of a centralized exchange with on-chain and crypto. Like all these things are really messy. Uh, and if we can make the tools to actually browse the blockchain easier, I think we'll be able to um, just make make crypto just much more simpler for everyone than just. I don't know how many times I have to like ex like what's a wallet, what's a centralized exchange, what's Coinbase. Like all these things yeah. are so complicated for someone that's coming in. Um, 
and yeah t- to me it's still like the what the hell is going on in, on on chain this is probably the biggest thing biggest opportunity right now for for people entering yeah i like that i mean i i like that when i first pulled up the the tool i like the idea of like you know how do we translate that right how do we simplify you know what is on chain also you know i think there's an element right where we help people you know they have to get an exchange to get something into their wallet because we want them to own their keys then they buy the nft on a marketplace and let's face it, they go and look at their, their their NFT in a wallet and they're like, what the hell is this? Even if they, you know, that's most recently, right? That we even got a portfolio view. And I think the the sad truth was sending people back to a a marketplace that is that is built for buying and selling to view what is in your portfolio is asked backwards and doesn't make any sense in any of the you know the traditional ways that we would do right it's almost like telling people to go look at their bank account on the stock exchange on a stock market right versus yeah. like wait why i'm not i'm not buying or selling and that's actually been a big pushback you know for a lot of people that i onboarded where they're like Brian you told me that i should buy these nfts and hold on to them for 3 years why do I have to go look at them on a place that's only built for buying and selling? Right. And that was always like a, right. I was like, well, Hey, that's just kind of where our space goes. So I like that <laughs> the the approach of what you're kind of building there. Cause it does, it simplifies our view of our own piece of the pie, but it also kind of simplifies that, that hierarchical view of you know, what is everything actually that is, uh, you know, is on chain. Although I went and, you know, when I first clicked my portfolio, I have like a, uh, some Olive Garden NFTs that ended up going into a cease and assist that, uh, that are still there sitting <laughs> in my wallet that I'm like, I'm like, one day they'll have nostalgia, but right now they just yeah. look like a massive, uh, you know, We're... loss of, loss of equity, right? Like that's just how it works. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty funny. Well, they're going to be there forever. They're, yep. they're on chain, so yeah. That's the truth. Well, so, you know, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Uh, we'll definitely put a link to the tool um, in the in the show notes. Is there anything you wanted to leave the audience with? Anything that you have uh, coming down the road that I uh, want to make sure that they're aware of? Yeah, so uh, big feature that's coming is our activity feed. We'll be launching a beta by the end of the year um, and launching it into production early next year. So. You can follow anyone. You can follow Fanzo and see what he's up to in the NFT space uh, or what tokens he's trading. Um, we also have a mobile app as well. So you can head to our Twitter. We have all these uh, our, uh, important links there um, to do the exact same things. Um, and yeah, that's it. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yeah, no, thank love you. the conversation. Thank, yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah, I enjoyed, enjoyed this a lot. And you know, for our audience too, you know, I preach a lot about, you know, transparency. This was, uh, you know, they had reached out and like checked out the tool. I said, Hey, let's have, come on and uh, check it out. You know, there's no relationship beyond that here uh, with the podcast. So of course, you know, do your own damn research, check out the tools. I love the idea of a mobile, uh, you know, piece of the pie, right? Right now, mobile, I, I buy, uh, I mint a lot of NFTs via my mobile device just because I was buying one every day for a year and I have three daughters and living in that world. And, and everyone laughed at me because they were like, I can't believe you're you know, minting on your mobile device. And I was like, hey, I got to do what I got to do. And so when I saw you had a mobile, <laughs> you had a mobile app, too, I, I appreciated that uh, as well. And, you know, and I think the, the beauty, too, is, you know, right now we're, we, we are a lot of impatient, loud, you know, NFT holders. But as we kind of welcome new people back in and we're resetting a culture, I do think it's going to be even more important to be able to hold people accountable, be able to verify what people actually own and, and what they say uh, they're a part of. And, uh, you know, tools like this are going to be uh, a big part of that. So, yeah, Seb, thanks for, for jumping on the podcast. Uh, as always, everyone, thanks so much uh, for listening. And uh, until the next one, make it a great day, my friends. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening to NFT 365. If you found this helpful, let us know by leaving a review, like, subscribe, share, and do all of those good things. Join our email list to keep up with all things NFT 365. We appreciate you spending a little of your time with us. And as always... 